There are approximately 150,000 artificial hip joints implanted annually in the United States, with a success rate over 90%. What is new in the area of hip joint replacement? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Paul Lux, co-founding member of the Orthopedic Center of St. Louis. Dr. Lux is an internationally recognized expert in his field of total joint replacement. Welcome, Dr. Lux. Thanks, Mark. Today we are discussing hip replacements. Dr. Lux, what has changed in the area of hip replacements? Well, hip replacement is by far one of the most gratifying procedures that an orthopedic surgeon can perform because the recovery for our patients is so remarkable. What's happened in, in recent years has been advances in the technology and in the, uh, in the type of materials that we use that allow these hip replacements to last at least 20 years now and sometimes longer. Uh, We've also uh, eliminated the need for cement to hold these hip replacements secure to the bone. Seventy percent of people that have hip replacements would rate their uh, hip replacement normal as it compares to the other side. Now, what exactly is involved in a hip replacement? Well, hip replacement is basically giving a new surface to the hip. And this is done by using a socket or what we call an acetabular component. It's a metal shell. The surgeon has a choice of surfaces that uh, he can use, whether it be a plastic surface or a metal surface, and this is matched up with a new femoral head. Also can be different surfaces, such as metal or ceramic, and this is attached, uh, the metal ball is attached to a stem that goes down in the canal of the femur. And do you no longer use cement? In 1990, 90% of hip replacements that were done were cemented in place. And in 2007, approximately 90% of hip replacements are done cementless, meaning the need for cement has been eliminated. Well, how does the femoral head stay affixed inside the femur? The components are designed with a surface that the bone actually grows into. In the case of the acetabulum, the porous coating is on the back side of the cup, and the cup is put in in what we call a press-fit manner meaning the surgeon would ream a hemisphere to, say, 52 millimeters, and then a 54-millimeter diameter cup would be driven into this hemispherical shape, and that gives you enough fixation to hold that acetabular component in place. Likewise, in the femur, the femoral head is actually attached to a stem that's typically about five or six inches in diameter. The stem is then driven down inside the canal of the femur, where it attaches and anchors itself to the bone. How extensive is this hip replacement surgery? You know, a hip replacement is actually a very easy operation to recover from, from the patient's point of view. The surgery typically takes me about 45 minutes. It's done through a posterior approach over the posterior to the trochanter down toward the buttock. The patients can get up the next day and put all their weight on their hip. And my patients are typically recovered in about six weeks. So it's a very easy operation to recover from. It does not require a lot of physical therapy. Uh, It does not require uh, a lot of time uh, off of work. 
and the level of activity with our newer hip replacements that a patient can return to is just incredible. Well, what makes you decide when you see a patient with hip pain that that patient needs a hip replacement as opposed to more conservative measures? All of our patients certainly try the easy things. And for a hip replacement, that would be anti-inflammatory medication, whether it be over-the-counter such as Aleve or Celebrex. Uh, Many patients have tried a a Medrol pack where they take a six-day course of oral cortisone. Uh, Rarely does somebody get a cortisone injection in the hip as it needs to be done fluoroscopically. It's quite expensive, and with the amount of relief that you would get from that would be fairly uh, short-lived. And so typically what a patient would tell me is that they come in and they, they started out and they thought they had pulled their groin muscle because true arthritis of the hip actually hurts in the groin. It is not a pain in the buttock or down the back of the leg. Groin pain is the hallmark of osteoarthritis of the hip. The second most common symptom is knee pain. Typically, this pain will radiate down. Patients have been seen by possibly their family doctor who's given them a cortisone shot in their knee, and the pain hasn't changed at all. And the reason is the pain in the knee is actually referred pain from the hip. Typically, a patient will tell me they can't get their shoes and socks on anymore. The spouse will tell me that the patient is waddling, which is how someone with a sore hip protects their hip. Uh, They have difficulty getting comfortable in bed. Typically, a patient will say, I have to put a pillow between my knees or under my knee in order to get comfortable. Specifically, for how I determine if somebody needs a hip replacement, first of all, their x-ray has to show that there is bone on bone or that the articular cartilage is missing. But most people come to me and say, Dr. Lux, I've, I've just given up so much, I can't play tennis anymore. I can't walk a mile anymore. The pain wakes me up at night. Uh, I can't go to the big stores like Walmart or Sam's because I can't walk that far. So it's a combination of what the patient says, their physical exam, and what the x-rays show. And finally, what's the average age of patients that require hip replacements? You know, as, as the technology has gotten better, the age of an average patient of mine has come down quite a bit. In 1990, I would estimate that it would have been in the early 70s, and now I would say that it's in the mid-50s. And part of it is because we have confidence that these implants can perform at a much higher level and that these implants will last much longer. And so we don't tell people to wait till they're 70 to have their hip replaced. Dr. Lux, what exactly is minimally invasive hip replacement? Uh, Minimally invasive hip replacement is something that's come about in the last five years in that we don't have to actually cut near as much of the muscle surrounding the hip in order to safely and accurately put the implants in their correct position. Earlier, you know, years ago, the, the problem was you had to have a large exposure to be able to accurately align the components. If you didn't do this, the hip would dislocate. That was the big complication or the big worry from the surgeon is that the ball in the socket would come apart and the hip would dislocate. However, as the instrumentation got better, as the understanding of the anatomy got better, uh, it's been incorporated into my practice, into many orthopedic surgeons' practices, that I don't have to really cut the muscle around the hip to expose the hip. I go between the muscles, incise a small amount of the muscle above the hip in the superior capsule, and then by doing that, I've been able to get enough exposure and enough experience putting these in without having to cut as much of the muscle. And what this does is obviously 
Uh, it allows the patients to get up and move quicker without pain and recover quicker uh, because they don't have near the soreness they had before. In my field of general surgery, cholecystectomy has now changed to laparoscopic cholecystectomy as the gold standard. Is the gold standard now in hip replacement this minimally invasive approach? There are several different techniques, but certainly the size of my incision uh, for hip replacement now is half of what it was in 1995. And I would say that most busy total joint surgeons have gone to that. Now, whether it's the gold standard, I, I don't know if I would say that because there's certainly many qualified guys that are still using a bigger approach and doing a very good job doing hip replacements. But it's certainly something that just about all my patients know about. They've heard about it either in the newspaper or on the radio or on television. And it's something that certainly every town will have an orthopedic surgeon that has some experience in minimally invasive uh, hip replacement. What are these new hip joints made out of? You know, the biggest advance that I've seen in my own practice is a hip that's made from cobalt chrome. The bearing surface is metal on metal. We've eliminated the plastic. Unlike knee replacement, where there, it still requires a plastic spacer between the two pieces, with metal on metal hip replacements, we've been able to eliminate that piece of plastic. It's a cobalt chrome on cobalt chrome bearing surface. And what that's allowed us to do is theoretically eliminate the need for future surgery for wear. Because early on, these hip replacements are not showing any sign of clinical wear. But why can you do it in the hip and not in the knee? That's a good question. The reason is it's, you know, the knee is, is a hinge joint and the hip is a ball in a socket. And you have much more surface area in contact with the hip. These pieces are actually lubricated by the hip's own fluid. And it leads to a very, very low friction situation so that as time goes on, and we've put these in wear testers and tested them for the equivalent of 20 years, there's no visible sign of wear. So does this mean that a patient who gets a hip replacement can have it for life? Absolutely. And I say that to my patients now, but I always put the disclaimer at the end. I said, since we've never had it in people for 20 or 25 or 30 years, we won't know until you get that old, until your hip replacement is that far. But potentially for the first time, we have a situation where these metal-on-metal -metal hip replacements could last forever. Are there any alternatives to a hip replacement if someone comes in and says, Dr. Lux, I really don't want to go through this procedure? What would you say? Well, there is one procedure that's done on a limited basis uh, in the United States. It's just been recently approved. There is absolutely a use for this, and it's called hip resurfacing. And hip resurfacing is similar to a hip replacement, except the ball is not cut off and a stem and a ball put in its place. A hip resurfacing is a cap put over the femoral head, and the patient's own femoral head is kept intact. Are there any patients at all that you would not recommend a hip replacement, assuming that they could undergo general anesthesia? You know, there's very few. Uh, somebody that has no muscular control about their hip, say somebody that had a, an open spine, a spina bifida, a meningomyelocele that doesn't have normal sensation or normal muscle strength around their hip, that's sort of a contraindication. But short of that, very rarely is somebody not a candidate for hip replacement. And what do you see as the future to hip replacements? You know, I think the incisions will continue to get a little bit smaller. I think the bearing surfaces will continue to get better. The hip replacement is a very gratifying 
procedure that has a very, very high success rate. And it is about as good as you can get, I think, in medicine right now. And can someone who successfully recovers from a hip replacement play sports? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have patients that uh, snow ski, they water ski, they play golf or tennis. I have people that horseback ride. Anything that is normal for your age, I tell you they can do. The only thing that I discourage people from doing is taking up, you know, long-distance running because we just don't know the impact of on the bearing surface of the high loads when your foot strikes the ground. It's going to put up quite a bit of force across that hip or that knee replacement. But anything short of that is okay. I want to thank Dr. Paul Lux, who has been our guest. We have been discussing hip replacement. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill. And you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.